ceremony, but I was so struck at the, at the reception uh, for Michaela and Noah. Um, I was really struck by, for those of you that were there, you'll, you'll maybe appreciate this, is what a blessing of the heritage of trusting God it is for a family. I mean, it was remarkable to hear, you know, Noah's family is very large. He has a lot of siblings. But to hear each of them, to hear uh, also Craig and Ellen's family talk about how the faith journey, how God has carried them through uh, trials, tribu tribulations, and, and great victory as well. It just something to take note of. So, uh, yeah, I wanted to say that. Um, yeah, so our series, as, as, uh, as Craig said, you know, our series this, this summer has been on turning points. And I'm sure that we've all experienced these points at, sometimes, some, at times in our lives, whether, whether it's a turning point in your studies or in a relationship or in your happiness, just general happiness, or in your faith. Um, we have these moments in life, and they can come through crisis or some big event in our life, or they can come through a really small, seemingly innocuous event that really would otherwise be forgotten, except, you know, they aren't, right? Um, you know, these, these, these small things that just, for whatever reason, they stick with you. And so there are times as well that we see these turning points in, in the form of a person. And so, uh, you know, a person might be somebody that's really significant to you relationally, a parent, you know, a, a, a close friend, a partner, you know, whatever that may be, a teacher. Sometimes it's almost a passing stranger, a person that would otherwise be forgotten, except in that case they aren't. And so today, we're going to look at a person, uh, we're going to look at the life and actions of Jonathan, um, who, if you recall, is the son of Saul, the first king of Israel. And, you know, Jonathan is not exactly what I would say a footnote in the Bible. He's not just an afterthought. But he's a person that we miss. It's easy to miss him. He's, he's a player in the story. He's a character. He's like the character actor in a movie that you, you say, oh, I've seen that guy. I've seen that, I've seen that lady in something, but I can't remember where. But you know that they always play that character, right? You know that they play that character really well. That's Jonathan. Jonathan's, oh yeah, I know that guy, you know. Um, I can't really tell you what he did, but I know that guy. And he's a He's someone that, you know, although, you know, the, his name is like one of the most popular around the world, otherwise he might be forgotten, except we shouldn't. So uh, in a moment we'll read um, from 1 Samuel 14. If you, if you have a Bible app or a Bible with you, you can start looking for that. But while you're doing that, I'll set up the context for you. Um, so King Saul first king of Israel, has amassed a large army. He's amassed 3,000 people. And he's, he's split his forces. He's got 2,000 under his command and 1,000 under Jonathan's command. So this is, I don't know, maybe, 
I'm guessing maybe 15 or 20 years after Saul has become king, because Jonathan would probably have been 10 or less when, when, uh, when Saul became king, maybe not even born. So maybe it's a little later anyway. Um, so Jonathan is Saul's oldest son, which also makes him heir to the throne, right? Um, and in this time, there's a prophet named Samuel. And Samuel has given instruction to Saul that essentially, or giving God's instruction to Saul, that God said, look, you follow what I'm telling you. You take these actions, and I will bless your kingdom. I will make you a large nation. Okay, fair enough. That's pretty simple, right? Follow what I say. I will bless you. Like, there's a good sort of transaction in that. Um, in this instance, um, what Samuel has instructed, Samuel has said, okay, we're going to attack the Philistines. I want you to go ahead, go to this place. I will meet you there in seven days. And in seven days, we will give thanks to God. We will give offering. We will then uh, pray to God and ask for his favor in this battle, right? So this is the thing. But Samuel had to be there. This was sort of the way God had set it out. Samuel had to be there to give the offering and, and the sacrifice and all of this. So, okay, so, Samuel, so uh, Saul takes his forces away. Again, he split off Jonathan to another, uh, uh, they're in another place, so they're kind of separated. Jonathan with the 1,000, Saul with the 2,000. So in this corner, we've got Saul's army of 3,000 split into two. In the other corner of the ring, we have the Philistines. And the Philistines now are amassing, um, well, a much larger army, let's say. <laughs> um, they, have really, they have as many horses and chariots as the Israelites have people. And then they have forces on top of that, and they have weapons, and they have all of this sort of stuff, right? So. This is happening over seven days, and the Israelites are in their corner looking across the valley going, what is going on? How are we going to do this? And they're getting scared. They're getting scared, and they're starting to fracture. They're starting to split. Some are saying, I'm out of here. You know, they're starting to scatter. Some even are going... And probably because they're, you know, you look at an army like that, the Philistines, they've got more resources. They've, you know, this is a time that's, you know, there's a lot of scarcity of things. They may look over and say, they've probably got more food. They can probably help me support my family better. People started actually leaving and going over to the other army. This is what's happening over the few days. And... Uh, Saul gets a wee bit antsy. <laughs> you know, he gets a little nervous. One day, two days, four days, six days. Now we're to the seventh day, and Samuel still has not arrived. So Saul, in his wisdom, we will call it, says... 
I'm just going to make the sacrifice. I'm going to inquire and inquire of God for favor on my own. So he goes through all the, the process of doing that. And just as they finish, Samuel arrives. And Samuel says, what have you done? What have you done? The Israelites scatter. 3,000 men turns into 600. And now this is, this is both, both Jonathan's troops and Saul's troops are now joining together in one location, the 3,000 down to 6,000. In this whole process of scattering and the Philistines were sending out raid parties, they're stealing stuff. They're taking stuff from the surrounding cities. They actually worked it so that, you know, they took control of the local cities so that there were no blacksmiths. So even the farmers of the Israelites had to go to the, they, they had to go to the Philistines and say, can we please buy some implements to plow our fields? So the Israelites now are down to 600 people, 600 men, and they, among 600 men, have two spears, one in Saul's hand, one in Jonathan's hand. This is where we find ourselves as we start in chapter 14. On verse 1, one day Jonathan, son of Saul, said to his young armor-bearer, Come, let's go over to the Philistine outposts on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Saul was staying on the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree in Migron. With him were about 600 men, among whom was Ahijah, who was wearing an ephod. He was a son of Ichabod's brother. I'm going to pass through that. No one was aware that Jonathan had left. On each side of the pass that Jonathan intended to cross to reach the Philistine outpost was a cliff. One was called Bozes, the other Sinna. One cliff stood to the north toward Michmash, the other to the south toward Geba. Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, listen to this, Come, let us go over to the outpost of these uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. In his book, Alchemy, Rory, Rory Sutherland writes uh, about knowing uh, or, or finding wisdom in knowing and understanding that conventional wisdom is not always right, or it's at least incomplete. So he, the full title of the book is called Alchemy, The Surprising Power of Ideas That Don't Make Sense. And one of the first principles he talks about of being what he terms an alchemist is that the opposite of a good idea is often a good idea. Um, so if we look at the Israelite situation, I think it's fair to say that 
climbing up to the outpost. Now, we're talking about cliffs. So this is rock climbing. This is not like, oh, I'm taking a little trek up the mountain. This is not even the grouse grind. This is, I think it describes it that he has to climb with his hands and his feet. So he's rock climbing, right? Uh, this is Alex Honnold, if you're familiar with him. I mean, this is like, you know, this is real climbing. Uh, he's climbing up to the outpost uh, with himself and an armor bearer and one spear between them, not really knowing what he's seeing on the other side. Okay, so I think it's fair to say that this is at least the opposite of a good idea, right? <laughs> um, okay, so continuing in verse 7. Do all that you have in mind, his armor bearer said. Go ahead. I am with you heart and soul. Jonathan said, come on then. We will cross over toward them and let them see us. If they say to us, wait there until we come to you, we will stay where we are and not go up to them. But if they say, come up to us, we will climb up, because that will be our sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. So both of them showed themselves to the Philistine outpost. Look, said the Philistines, the Hebrews are crawling out of the holes they were hiding in. The men of the outpost shouted to Jonathan and his armor bearer, come up to us and we'll teach you a lesson. So Jonathan said to his armor bearer, climb up after me. The Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Jonathan climbed up using his hands and feet with his armor bearer right behind him. The Philistines fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer followed and killed other people behind him. In the first attack, Jonathan and his armor bearer killed some 20 men in an area of about an acre and a half. Oh, sorry, half an acre. So the opposite of a good idea is sometimes a good idea, right? I, I mean, is this the case here? I, I guess, like you can't, it's really hard to argue with the outcome, right? Um, I think that's sort of the point is, um, but I think if Jonathan were writing the book, instead of, you know, a good, uh, the opposite of a good idea is often a good idea, he might say in this case, the opposite of a good idea is a God idea. And, you know, it's, it's interesting when we look at this in, in relation to his father's actions. Um, you know, it, prior to this, and, and really what got them into this mess was, was Saul's actions of, of uh, really taking matters into his own hands, which, you know, on the surface looks like what we're, what we're seeing with, with Jonathan as well. You know, both men are taking seemingly impulsive action, um, and they're taking matters into their own hand. But if we look a little deeper, what we'll, what we'll see is, is the kind of motives behind these, right? If you look at Saul, Saul's actions were born out of fear. He was afraid that his army was scattering. He was afraid that the favor of God was leaving him. He was afraid that Samuel was never going to come and, oh, woe is me. And I better just go through this ritual to make sure that I have the favor of God. But in a way, it's like God was his lucky charm, 
You know, he's like the rabbit foot that you, you rub right before you, I don't know, whatever you do, <laughs> whatever you need luck for, or, you know, whatever your lucky charm is, it's, you know, he's pulling God out of his pocket and saying, God, I want you to give me favor. I want you to stand with me. But Jonathan is looking at it a bit differently. Jonathan is looking at it and saying, look, I know who God is. I know that God has already said he will deliver us from this people. I know that God can save by, you know, whether by many or by few. So Jonathan is saying, not God, will you stand with me? Please give me your favor. Will you stand with me? He's saying, God, I stand with you. I stand on your side, and you're going to, you know, maybe you will bless this action because this is what you want, not this is what I want, and can you please bless me for this, right? And so we see this recurring through, through, through Jonathan's life. I mean, we see this in our lives, right? There, there are times where I know... I mean, you're in your study, you know, you're in the university, you're in your studies. You have those nights where you want to you want to study, but you really have trouble focusing. And you get you get to the exam and you say, "God, please, 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 please help me." You know, let me pull let me pull God. If you just help me this time, if you just help me this time, I, I'm telling you, I will study my hardest next time. I will not ab abuse my relationship with you, whatever you may say in justifying this. I, this is a simple example. We do this in all sorts of ways. You know, we take action and then try to retroactively justify it through faith. Um, well, I did this because of Sometimes it's, it's simple, you know, I did this because of whatever, and I thought God would bless that. Sometimes it's, you know, I really want to do this, and I believe God's called me to do this. But w there are things we can also recognize and say, I know what God's called me to do. I mean, we know that God desires us to seek mercy and justice in the world. We know that God desires us to love one another, to sacrifice for one another. We don't need to ask his favor in those things. Because in those things, we're standing with him. We're not asking him to stand with us. And there is a difference. And we see this later in, in Jonathan's life. In a story you probably know better, probably what you know of Jonathan is his relationship with David. Right? So following this battle, now I will say the results of this battle that we talked about, uh, not only did he take the outpost, but then in seeing that, the Philistine army got scared. And some of those defectors started saying, 
hey, maybe we can actually do this. So the combination of you had some, some Israelites, not a lot. I mean, the Philistine army is huge. The Philistines actually went into chaos. And they were afraid. They actually started killing each other because they were fighting and like, didn't know what to do. Didn't know who was their enemy. And by the time Saul actually figured out what was going on and decided to join the fight, like it was almost over. <laughs> Um, so, again, you can't really uh, argue with the results. Now, I don't think any of us would have seen that as a very wise move on Jonathan's part. But that's because we're relying on our conventional wisdom. And we're thinking about God blessing us in our actions rather than us standing with God. And, and as Jonathan says... Perhaps he will bless this. Perhaps he will stand with me. But I know what we're doing is right. So we fast forward. After this, Samuel, after Saul's discretion or indiscretion of, uh, you know, pursuing God's favor, Samuel really lays out for him, like, God will not continue your line of, of royalty. He's done. Everyone knows, well, at least, you know, Saul knows this, Jonathan knows this. Enter David. David is now, David has been anointed by Samuel. This is known to Saul. It's known to Jonathan. Jonathan and David become very close friends, right? So, um, we see this same conviction of Jonathan in standing with God in the story of in the story of Jonathan and David, and we'll look at it here in a minute. But in this case, there's there's a, like a lot in the context. You know, you, you've probably heard the story of you know where, and I'll tell you the story quickly because it it actually is sort of secondary to the context of the story. In a, in a funny way. So the story is um, David comes to Jonathan and says, hey, bro, your dad is trying to kill me. And Jonathan says, oh, what do you mean? I surely know about this. I'm close with my dad. I'm around him all the time. Surely I would know. David says, nope, you're missing the point. He's trying to kill me. Jonathan and David, you know, make a pact. Now, Jonathan's in a tough spot because, first off, he has to get over the idea of, like, hey, my dad's, like, an aspiring murderer. And second, he's trying to kill my BFF, right? Um, like, that's a couple of big leaps he has in one conversation. But he says, okay, I'll take your word for it. We'll figure it out. So they figure out a scheme. So they scheme up a plan where um, David has been invited to uh, what would have made the most awkward family dinner possible. But he's been invited to this festival dinner. Like there's a whole week of, of, of dinners where he's supposed to be present along with Jonathan and, and Saul. Um, they make a plan that Jonathan is going to suss out whether David is accurate and, you know, 
Saul's actually trying to kill him. And he does this, uh, and kind of it sinks in when, you know, his dad throws a spear at him and tries to kill him. You know, so that's a pretty good indicator that, yeah, David's, you know, he's trying to kill David. David wasn't there, by the way. Um, he, I, I really, you should really read this. I'm giving you a really high-level thing, but it's, a, it's, a, it's worth reading. So it's 1 Samuel 20. Um, so Jonathan goes back and sends a signal to David to say, hey, you need to get out of here. You know, you need to get out of here because this is, this is bad. And so David runs and really never, there's not a lot of interaction between the two from that point on. Like that's more or less the last time, at least in the Bible, pretty much the last time we see them interacting. Okay. So, um, now, you also have to understand, being a king in those days was like really dangerous business. You know, you had a lot of perks, you got a lot of money, and you got a lot of servants, and you got a lot of other stuff. But it was dangerous business, you know. So having your line of succession, having your family continue that royal, uh, you know, that royal line, yeah, that was a big deal. And there was a lot of murder that happened over this sort of thing. You know, uh, a king might actually murder his own brother or his nephew or his uncle because, well, they have some claim to the throne. And if somehow he dies, then now they take over. And now it's their line. Um, a new king comes in, especially one from outside. Now, realize that David is an outsider. He's not family. So he's going to, they know that he's going to become king. What do you think is going to happen to Jonathan's family? Right? Jonathan now, Jonathan has a bloodline claim to the throne. And yet David is going to come in and become king. Even though Jonathan's helping him do that, like, that's a lot of risk. You know, it would be very common for David to come in and completely wipe out Saul's family. Like that happened, there's stories in the Bible about that. You can look throughout history. That thing, that sort of thing happens a lot in history. So Jonathan, in helping David, is putting his own family at risk and himself. I mean, if he's still alive, you know, he's the first one to die. I mean, at least in conventional wisdom, right? So it's in this context that we start to understand the words, the, the interaction between David and Jonathan. And so we're going to read from 1 Samuel 20, um, starting verse 12. And so this is, they're scheming at this point. You know, they're scheming up this plan. So this is, this is how it goes. So then Jonathan said to David, I swear by the Lord, the God of Israel, that I surely will sound out my father by this time, the day after tomorrow. If he is favorably disposed toward you, i.e. he's not going to kill you, will I not send word and let you know? But if my father intends to harm you, may the Lord deal with Jonathan, deal with me, be it ever so severely if I do not let you know and send you away in peace. 
may the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. But show me unfailing kindness like the Lord's kindness as long as I live so that I may not be killed. And do not ever cut off your kindness from my family, not even when the Lord has cut off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth. Now, Jonathan is a man who knows his place. He knows that he has claim to the, to the throne. He knows his standing. He knows what that standing, he knows the historical context. He knows the, you know, cultural context that he's in jeopardy. And yet, he prays and seeks only for David's favor and for the safety of his family. Again, he recognizes, and this is not about him and David. Understand, he doesn't say, please grant me kindness, your kindness. He says, please grant me the Lord's kindness. In this little section, he uses, he, he refers to God, one, two, three, four, five, six times. And he asks only that as David begins to rule that he will pr protect him and his family. He understands that God has determined and has, has anointed David's kingship. And he accepts that. And he takes his conviction a step further in saying, not only do I accept that, but I will actively work toward that. Again, I will stand with God and hope that God will show me favor in that. Just like he did in the battle. I will, we will go out to the outpost and perhaps God will show us favor. I will stand with David because God has anointed David and perhaps David will show me kindness in doing so. Show me the Lord's kindness. You know, at some point in Jonathan's life, he had to make a choice. You know, a lot of choices. Everybody makes choices every day, but he had to make some really significant ones, and especially around this idea of kingship. You know, he had to choose, will I stand with God in knowing that God has anointed David, or will I fight for kingship and fight for my line of succession? He had more to lose in this story than anyone. And we've... We forget about him because Saul's a big ruler. David becomes, you know, the main player and the ruler of, of Israel. But Jonathan is the turning point in this story. You know, he's the turning point in the battle against the Philistines. He stands with God. He's the turning point really in David's life in protecting him. He stands with God. 
you know, he looks at it and says, will I be a servant of God or will I hope that, you know, maybe God will serve me? And we face these choices all the time, right? I mean, this is not a, this is not, the, um, this is not a question of, you know, should I inquire of the Lord and figure out the right answer? You know, do I, should I do this or should I do that? Should I, like, what's my path? You know, this is the choice that may come for you daily. It may come in big moments. It may come in seemingly innocuous, you know, very small, forgettable moments. That you and I will have to choose Will I stand with God? Or will I go my own way and hope that God will bless me in doing so? And in standing with God, you know, in old days I would say, older days I would say, hold up your Bible. (laughs) Maybe hold up your phone that has your Bible app or maybe you've got a physical one with you, you know. You know what God, we've got, we've got pages and pages and chapters. You've got people around you. We know what, we know the things God has called us to. You know, we may not know every decision that he desires for us. We know what God's called us to. And we can choose then to stand with him or we can choose to go our own way. We can, we can choose to learn whether the opposite of a good idea is a God idea or whether it's just a bad one. Let's pray. God, thank you for... Um, thank you for, for showing us these seemingly insignificant people or, you know, small players and the impact that they have on, you know, all of history, really. Um, I pray, Lord, that as we go about our day, just as the, as, as the Great Commission says, you know, as we're going, we make disciples. Right? We, we know these things. You know, this is part of what you've already commanded us to do. I pray that we will know your word. I pray that we will understand uh, who you are and how you've made us. And that we will live a life that stands with you. In the name of Jesus, we pray.